Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So uh, if you were here last week, you know that we started a sermon here um, called The Ecology of a Missional Disciple. The ecology of a missional disciple. Now, the reason I titled it that is I found this, I've been chewing on this word for a while and wondering kind of how it could pertain to what we were studying. And ecology is the study of the relationships among living organisms, including humans, and their physical environments. So essentially, it's a branch of science that studies the interaction that humans have with their physical surroundings. And really what my challenge has been is this, is what if we were to study your life and the interactions that you had with your physical surroundings, what would the findings be? And I think that that's such a loaded question because for some of us, we sit here and we're like, okay, well, I mean, I feel like I'm nice to the people I love. I feel like I try to be a good person. I feel like all of us kind of have this revelation around that fact, but What I'm challenging us in is this understanding of being a missional disciple. Because what's been lost in the disciplined learning is the disciplined loving. The disciplined living out of that love. And you see it because culturally Christianity has been labeled as so many things because rightfully so. It sometimes isn't the most loving. And it sometimes doesn't live the light that it professes. So how do we as a body of believers love our city well within the idea of being a missional disciple, meaning we are on mission in our disciplined rhythms of life. You know, my first time ever unlocking anything for this building was the end of last April. Now, many of you guys know we are a church plant that started uh, the very last week of September of last year, and it's been a wild ride. It's been so fun. But, you know, last year, our very first gathering ever was a, uh, and there are some people in this room who were at that, uh, but the very last gathering that we ever, or the first gathering we ever did here was kind of a vision gathering where we were just buying a meal, and we just made friends with a bunch of people and invited them to the building. We'd just gotten keys to this place. And I remember I'm at this door and I'm unlocking the door. And as I'm unlocking the door, I'm watching as as somebody who's not supposed to be in the building is walking through the white floor room. And they were obviously somebody who who had maybe fallen on a hard time or were homeless. And what I found out later was they kicked in a window and decided to sleep right in this corner. And I remember, though, that person, they walked through, and I'm unlocking the door for the very first time, and I'm watching as they're walking through our, our room. And I, I just look, and I go, okay, here we go, Micah. You know, you got an hour till your event starts, but, I mean, let's have some fun, right? So I remember walking in, and I'm like, hey, man, hey. And it, this person just kept walking all the way around, all the way. They're walking right up here. I go, hey, man. And, this, and immediately the person looks at me, and they're, they're a little upset, and, I look at him and I say, hey, just so you know, I'm not mad at you. I'm not calling the cops. But you do kind of have to tell me how you got in. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, I, I, kicked, in, I kicked in a window. And I was like, well, let's not do that. <laughs> it would be great if we, you know, started on base one. Like, let's not kick in windows. 
But, but immediately afterwards, this person, we start having dialogue, and I'm like, hey, man, like, you, you, we have an event here. You're welcome to stay. I've got, I gave him a food and some water. He ends up leaving. And then later on, we find out that they were, we were missing some things, and then we found out that he'd left a bag here, and it had the stuff that we were missing in it. So he comes back a couple days later when he saw my truck and says, hey, man, can I, can I uh, get my stuff? And I said, you can have your stuff, but I took my stuff back that you were stealing. <laughs> And he looked at me, and I, I remember this. He looked at me, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, sorry about that. I'm like, dude, you can't just kick in windows and steal our stuff. Come on. But I walk him out, and I'll never forget this interaction. And I know some people have heard this story, but I think it's important for us to start today on this. But I walk him out with his bags, and we're at the gate. And he looks at me, and he goes, man, do you need any help here? And I looked at him. I'm like, bro, you kicked in my window and stole my stuff. I don't know how we are back full circle to like, you want, like, but he looks at me and goes, you need any help here? And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you just, you're just different, man. And not only that, like, I would just, whatever you're doing, I want to help you with. And I looked at him and I said, well, well, what are you good at? And he says, well, I'm good with my hands and I never have any weapons on me. And I like to talk to people and I only have a little bit of drugs on me. I said, I said, okay. And he said, but I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said this. He said, but I don't want to go in the building. I don't want to go in that building because there's a darkness in there. I'll work anything outside the building, but I don't want to go inside because there's a darkness. And I looked at him and I said, hey man, can I push back on that thought for a second? He said, yeah. I said, I think what you're coming into contact with is... And once again, not to be too forward, is you're actually being exposed to maybe the darkness you're living in and the light that is inside the building that we possess. And he looks at me and goes, what do you mean I'm living in darkness? I'm not living in darkness. I said, yeah, I wouldn't call doing drugs living in darkness. <laughs> and he, it's actually funny, you guys, because he actually chuckled and was like, okay, I see where you got me there. <laughs> But I said, I said, a lot of the times what happens in scripture talks about it is when darkness gets close to light, there's a, a agitation internally. That agitation that sits there and wants to sometimes convolute what light and darkness is. Oh, that's darkness because I have light because I can't be a bad person. Could or could I? I don't have darkness. Why would I? That's and there was a discussion then, and I remember challenging him. I said, you know, why don't you just think about that, right? Because I don't want to project darkness onto you, but I do want to say that you came around me and you wanted to work after you had kicked in my window and stole stuff. You wanted to work with me. Why is that? Because there was a light that you sensed. And it's funny because a few days later, I remember he walked back up the, back up the street and walked in looked at me. He said, you know, I've been thinking about that light and that darkness thing. He said, do you have any books on prayer? Because I just wanted, I, I was just wondering if I could have one because I don't know if I've ever thought like that. And I gave him a book on prayer and then over time he ended up coming to some things and I haven't seen him in a while, but I'm telling you that story not so you could be like, wow, Micah, you actually practice what you preach, but you can say that. Um, <laughs> But I tell you that story because I think for a lot of us, uh, you're a different man. Can I volunteer and work alongside you? Or should I say, I see a light in you that is attractive to me. Can I just be around it? Is that something said of you?
Because in our hustle and in our bustle, in our over-crammed schedules and in our too much and endless to-do lists, I believe a lot of us, we've forgotten that to shine a light actually isn't something that needs to be incorporated in a time. It must be incorporated in our personhood. So today, what I want to talk about strategically and specifically, and, and really what we've been talking about is these five words over the next few, five weeks. And the first one was this, seeing, which is what we talked about last week. This week is caring, praying, receiving, and going. So these five components in which we live as a missional disciple is first us seeing, second is us caring, and praying, receiving, and going. And each week I'm going to be going through what these kind of characteristics are and how this can be lived out in our lives fully. But before I do, see, some of us, I I want to be as biblically accurate as I can. See, caring is not found in Scripture. Caring. But compassion is. And so what I'm going to be talking about strategically and specifically today is the word compassion. Compassion in the Greek New Testament is eleos, and it's defined as a kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. So compassion is this word that it is a kindness or a goodwill towards the miserable or afflicted, joined with a desire to help. I love this because I want to challenge us today. I believe a lot of us say, God, I want to be on mission. I want to make a difference. I want to touch people's lives. But, and some of us, we are filled with that compassion and that kindness. But do we have a desire to see people changed? Because I think this is the question today. If you want to make a difference in the world, it's not if you think you can make a difference. It's if you have a desire to see that difference fully lived out. Because for a lot of us, we just don't have the desire. We have the God, I, oh, that's so terrible. Oh, man, I wish we could have done better. Oh, man, if my church could do something, oh, if Micah could do that. But do we have the desire in ourselves to partner with people's life change? Or even this, to partner with people whose lives won't be changed, but we've just got seats and we're going to just spread them as much as we can. And I think this is the question that nobody in church wants to talk about because in all honesty, what we want to talk about is the seeds of testimony that fell on the perfect ground that produced the perfect fruit that now can be a testimonial video that can get a lot of reels and like things. But I'm going to tell you this. There is a joy and a fulfillment that comes when you just have been somebody who scatters seeds every single day. And even though you don't know what they're doing on the ground, you know that you're being obedient with what's been in your hand. And see, a lot of us, we've been tricked into this microwave theology of conversion, this microwave theology of sanctification and holiness. Let's live on mission today around compassion and the desire to see the compassion lived out. So what I want to do is I want to talk about this word compassion. And in my opinion, I've been, this is one of um, my favorite passages to teach on. It's actually something that birthed um, a ministry that we were a part of in Michigan. This was like the underpinning of all of it. But before I even go into it, I want to mention to this, to, to you today that Jesus moved with compassion That statement, 
Jesus, moved with compassion, is mentioned 13 times in the Gospels. 13 times Jesus looks on somebody who's distraught, downcast, sick, and says, I'm moved with, it is said, he's moved with compassion. Now, specifically around that statement, some of those instances are some of the most famous instances in all of Scripture. Jesus moved with compassion is mentioned in Luke 10, 33, and you guessed it, the Good Samaritan story. Luke 15, 20, you guessed it, the prodigal son story, both of the most pivotal scriptural and theological points that Jesus is trying to make start with Jesus being moved with compassion And then telling a parable, a story, or a healing. Mark 20, 34. Matthew 20, 34. Mark 1, 41. Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 12, 7. Matthew 14, 14. Matthew 15, 32. Mark 6, 34. Luke 7, 13. These are all texts in which Jesus is essentially being moved with compassion to act on behalf of his children. But today we're focused on Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Let's read. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teaching, your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, today I want to say this, that I think for some of us, compassion is something that God has been trying to wake you up around for a long time. And what I mean by that is I believe cultural Christianity today, compassion has not been a byproduct of a disciple and it is being reinserted forcefully. And what I mean by that is those who build ministries and platforms not speaking or living compassion, they'll just isolate themselves with people who live like that also. And in all honesty, as they, as they build these forts of uncompassion and we're just calling it, or we'll call it religious truth, there's an isolation that happens from making a difference in the world. There's a reason that Jesus speaks 13 different times of compassion that leads to miraculous provision or a parable that the Pharisees needed to hear. It's because compassion is that important to him. I remember years ago, I was in a, uh, and by years ago, this was, man, this is wild. This is probably close to 15 years ago now. I was at a, uh, I was doing my, uh, my DTS. I did a YWAM DTS right after high school. And while I was in DTS, I lived with uh, 11 dudes in one room. I, there was not enough gasps for that. <laughs> like, if you live with 11 people in one room, all of you guys, when you've done that, you just, you just know, okay? So I remember I'm sitting, I'm, I'm literally, like, in this room with 11 dudes, and it's, it's bunk beds that are three, and in the places where there isn't an overhead fan, four high. Now, how many of you guys have ever seen a four bunk bed high bed? 
Yeah, none of us, because that is like totally wrong. Only in Christian cultures would we do this. It's like four beds, but as long as you love God. It's like you're here for Jesus, though. Carry the cross. It's like, no, I'm carrying three people above me. But here's the deal. The problem is this. The problem about it is this. It ain't that there's three dudes above you. It's that you got people who snore. Who's a snorer in here? Don't raise your hand. But look at the people around you if you know they is. Now, here's the deal. There's a difference, too, between snoring like a little snore and then like, uh, dang, that's an earthquake. Now, what we realized is this. Of the 11 guys in my dorm room, six of them were snorers. So the best part was, is they'd all, you, you had to get to bed before them. And if you didn't get bed to bed before them, like, oh, it was bad. But what we did, though, is what I would do every night is I would stack shoes by my bed. And I'm not talking my shoes. I'm talking all the 11 dudes' shoes by my bed. And if somebody woke me up storing, I was an assassin. Right at the head. <laughs> now, the best part is this. If they were on a part of the bed that I couldn't get to, there was something we did that was, I wouldn't recommend. But you can borrow it if you need it is we'd throw these shoes and throw these shoes and throw these shoes. And then if we couldn't get through to them, we called it the kick. We'd wake up the person that was below because we put the loudest snores on the top. And what we would do is if you were on the top bunk, we'd put somebody underneath you and we'd wake them up and tell them to give them the kick. And the bottom of the beds was, was plywood and they would just kick with the force of God Almighty. <laughs> And I'm telling you, could you imagine waking up in the middle of your night, in the middle of the night, and you're three feet off the ground looking at your mattress, like whoa! You just bounced, and that woke them up, and they stopped, they stopped snoring. And it was not uncommon for me to wake up in the morning, and I'd have no shoes next to my bed. But the reason I tell you this is I think that God over the last few years has been throwing shoes at the church saying, wake up. It's time to be compassionate. It's time to be people who love. It's time to be people who have a desire to show mercy and kindness. Throwing and then guess what's happening now? Okay, we're going to start kicking. We're going to start kicking because we have to be a people who have a desire to show mercy, who have a desire to show kindness because if Jesus is referenced as feeling it and sowing it 13 times, I would say that's a decent enough point for us to walk out. We've got to wake up, guys. So today, what I want to talk about is this, how to have compassion on the entirety of the mission. How do we have compassion on the entirety of the mission? Because what's really sad to me is when I see people burn bright for a month. Or two months. When I've seen people who have walked with God in proximity and closeness and had a desire and a routine that dictated the flow of their existence and then it's just gone. Why is it that we see this? And in my opinion, it is because the habits and the behaviors that are non-negotiables of being somebody who follows and professes faith has to incorporate compassion into it as well. 
We have to be people who train our minds to be ones who don't just have a kindness and empathy feel towards people, but a desire to see that lived out in the world. I'm prefacing this, but I believe our role within missional engagement, and I'm going to preach on it next month, is in the Old Testament. The most common uh, terms that were, that were applied to Yahweh were righteous and just. And I believe the missional focus of our church going forward is righteousness and justice. The foundation of what Yahweh was in the Old Testament is the foundation of who we must be in the New Testament faith. Ones who partner with righteousness and pursue justice. But before I get into this, I want to challenge us today. How do we live and have compassion on the entirety of the mission? We have to make the choice. That first we have to realize that we're on mission. And the second we have to rhythmically and routinely ask ourselves and build in empathy and build in activity that prioritizes a compassionate existence. The first thing is this. Compassion is about connection. If you want to care, you must deeply form relationships that don't fit into time limits or social norms. We need to walk alongside people, not be too busy or too heady for them to get close. You know, I was, um, I've been thinking about this because I, I added the two heady. You know, something about pursuing holiness sometimes produces a distance between people who aren't pursuing that that then almost puts you above them in your thinking. And I want to say this because I feel like this has been like a, the epidemic of the church is a, a, a mindset of superiority because we've chosen holiness that doesn't interact with people who haven't. And I want to challenge that thinking today because in my opinion, the greatest transformation in somebody's life is not the 30 second gospel presentation you have and then all right, see you later. But it's when you connect with somebody on such a deep level. That they feel seen, known, and loved, and they know that that is not from you because no human is wired that way. We are consumeristic, superficial, and, and in a lot of cases, narcissistic in our Western focus. So to connect with somebody who has nothing to offer, nothing to give, and should be seen as nothing to you is an opportunity for people to look outside of who you are and see him shining through. Connection is important. An off-the-wall article I stumbled on a while back. A grant was approved for a Harvard study in 1968 over a period of 75 years in hopes that a team of anthropologists could unlock the secret to a successful life. 268 men were studied in which every two years they would interview them with questionnaires and chronicle their findings. The number one consensus through the assessment, connection is crucial to any person's well-being and feelings of success and importance. Those with the deepest relational ties were the happiest overall by a landslide. Even when dealing with things like failed careers, lack of social success, in the end, it was the depth of relationship that was key to the depth of a quality life. You know what's interesting about Matthew, which I still have not even read. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think I actually have. Never mind. It's all right. All over. Who cares? 
You know what's interesting about Matthew? And what spoke to me so much about this passage is that Jesus seeks out a tax collector. Now, I'm not going to lie. For us today, we don't seek out tax. Imagine seeking out somebody at the IRS today. Like, I don't want to be sought out by you. I don't want to talk to you. Okay, God, I'm convicted. I repent. I'll maybe try to find somebody. And I don't, I'm not going to go into all of the instances of why tax collectors were wrong and how they turned their back on the Jewish people and were now and, and were cheaters and kind of scoundrels. But what I do want to say is this. Jesus seeks out Matthew, and he does it in such a profound way that ultimately when he seeks him out, what happens right after he encounters this compassion? He seeks out his friends. See, isn't this interesting, in my opinion, is when you seek out somebody who sees God clearly and experiences him through you, what you might find is that they seek out others and do the exact same thing. Because to be sought out is something everybody wants, but nobody actually practices. I'm not going to lie. How many of us have stood out in life and said, man, I wish I had connection with more people. Man, I wish I had deeper relationship. Man, I wish I had these people around who are in similar seasons and stages of life. And my response to you would be, how are you seeking those people out? Because in all honesty, I'm literally going to say this, and now I, I hope I don't get a flood, but I don't get a whole lot of people who seek even me out. And that's not an attack on you because I don't want you guys to seek out God, not all of you seek out me. But I do want to say this to you today, that I believe a lot of us, we don't know how to seek out other people because we're too busy waiting for them to seek us out, and that's just not how it works. Jesus sought out Matthew, the tax collector. Why would he seek out a sinner? Why would he seek out a scoundrel for connection that then brings life? You know, what's interesting about Matthew's life is that Jesus seeks him out. And then directly after Matthew seeks out his friends to to show them more of Jesus. But the process actually keeps rippling through eternity. And I want to even say this, some of us, I'm challenging us to to seek people out. And and what I want to say is we don't make room for sin, but we better hold space for sinners. We don't make room for sin. And there are people in my life I'm reaching out to consistently that live a lifestyle of, of where they're not ready to choose Jesus. And that's okay. I'm going to keep connecting with them because I believe in a God who at some point, someday, sometime, and it may not even be me, can use the seeds that I've scattered to sow salvation. But I want to say this to you today. See, some of us, we're seeking out People that we're seeking out sinners and we're not strong enough for the sin to not take hold in our lives. No, we don't seek out sin, but we hold space for sinners to have the seeds of our faith sown. And I'll keep referencing this later, but the second thing is this, because I don't have a ton of time. There is a difference between going through the motions and having the right motive. Your motives determine your life's motion. We cannot be so focused on the sacrifice and righteousness that we forget to show the mercy to the sinner. Matthew 9, 12 to 13 says, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what it means. I desire sacri- or compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not call the righteous, but the sinner. 
Compassion is not emotion, it's a motive. Christians that cannot be, cannot be labeled as merciful and compassionate are not realizing that our mission to the world has already lost when we live in this state. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Many of you guys don't know this. These two front teeth I chipped 12 times growing up. I was a reckless child and still am a little reckless. But we had a huge hill in front of my, li- my house. We had a huge hill in front of my house. And as it, some of you guys are like, wait, are those really fake? <laughs> it's like, let me see. Uh, we had a huge hill in front of my house. And as I would ride my bike down that hill, I always loved that at the very end of this hill was a curb that was like kind of smooth and kind of a ramp. So if you hit it fast enough, you'd catch some serious air, which at nine was like three inches, you know. So what happened is I would go down this hill and I would not touch the brake until I absolutely have to because if you were going fast enough, you could catch air. But if you were going slow enough, it was just like a, it just wasn't fun. But if you went too fast, there could be an accident. But over time, I started to develop just this like, man, I love doing this, running my bike down the hill, hitting the ramp in four inches, man, I'm so hardcore. Travis Pastrana, some of you guys don't even know that name. He's got to be like 60 now, too. Anyway, Dave Mira. Anyway, I remember I'm like going down my hill, and one day I'm waiting, 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 waiting to hit the brake. And I don't hit the brake. And when I do, I hit it not fast enough. And I remember I hit this curb, and my bike flies out from under me, and guess what? My face straight into the driveway. Two teeth gone. <laughs> which then would become the Chronicles of Micah from 9 to 19. It's every year or six months or six minutes I would chip my teeth. (laughs) But I say that because some of us, I believe that God's trying to hit the brakes of your life to reinstitute a compassionate existence before you get going too fast in which he has to wreck your existence to remind you to be compassionate. And I believe some of us were like, wow, this seems a little overly serious about being compassionate. And in my opinion, it almost needs to be. Because the state and the nature of our world today is we are so not compassionate, not just the church, everybody, that it has to be talked about. What does it mean to live this kindness? What does it mean to routinely be steeped in this love and desire for people to feel loved? See, we profess love, but living love, man, it's weighty. And so I want to challenge you today as we go into our last point, because I think this last point is the most pivotal moment we're going to have this morning around compassion. And in my opinion, it is the playbook, the blueprint, whatever you will, of a compassionate existence. I want to encourage you today to never forget these next two things. Number three, our compassion's mission is to reclaim and rename. We don't see someone as fallen, we see them as not resurrected yet. We don't see sinners, we see people who haven't met Jesus fully. Our mission on earth is to reclaim what has been lost and rename it once it's been found. 
I tell you this story because this is exactly what Jesus does in Matthew. See, Matthew's renamed calling in Luke 5.27 and Mark 2.14, Matthew is actually identified as Levi. Upon meeting Jesus and pursuing Jesus, his name is changed from Levi to Matthew. Now, Matthew is a great name meaning, but Levi just means united or joined. So he had a decent enough name beforehand, united or joined. But Matthew, what God changed his name to, gift of God, gift of Yahweh. See, your name before Jesus is nothing compared to after meeting Jesus. That's what compassion should be doing to our hearts for those who are around us, is knowing that God renames people in the light that he's found. The second thing is Matthew has a reclaimed calling after this name. See, Matthew's reclaimed calling after meeting Jesus and being a tax collector is he becomes a missionary and a writer. He writes as a firsthand witness the gospel of Matthew and is empowered to be one of the first missionaries and evangelists to Ethiopia. It is said that he was either staked or impaled to the earth by spears and then beheaded for his testimony. A writer a missionary, a martyr. What happened when he met Jesus is there was a renaming and a reclaiming. And I believe for a lot of us, we don't understand that the, the, what we are challenged to do is lean into our new name as a son and daughter of Christ and reclaim our existence and then offer to do that same thing to others. You know, of the 13 references Of Jesus displaying compassion towards someone in the Gospels during his ministry, over half come in Matthew's Gospel alone. Almost as if Matthew knew the effect of compassion personally and wanted history to know it. Think about that. Matthew's renamed and reclaimed calling through Christ was not the tax collector and it wasn't Levi. It was the missionary, the martyr, the gospel writer. It was the son of God. It was the son of Yahweh. See, he was much more than what his circumstances and name had dictated before the invitation was presented of following God, before God pursued and connected in a deep way. He was more. And I want to encourage you today. I feel like God is inviting you into recognizing that you've been renamed and reclaimed, but also inviting you to an existence in which you rename and reclaim those around you. Let's stand to our feet. In closing... In closing, as we worship together in kind of our final moment, I want to read this prayer over you. If you've been here, you know we have a posture in which I just write out a prayer related to our sermon. So whatever your posture for receiving is, I pray that this would meet you where you sit and where you stand. Would you make us compassionate? 
ones who seek out connection with the one who seeks compassion, and moments in order to show mercy to our fallen world. We seek out this assignment. As messengers of hope, would our words and deeds reflect that? Missionally engaging by seeing and practicing compassion, may we be people who pick up the mats and tear off the roofs to lower people to your feet. Train our motives to be pure so our motions endure. That even with the fractions and margins of our life, we are trained to show mercy and compassion upon the sinful and the fallen. We repent of in our pursuit of righteousness and self-sacrifice, we have forgotten about the importance of mercy upon the sinner. You have permission today to throw some shoes to wake us up from the slumber of spiritually settling for a powerless walk. God, today we do not take lightly the calling of compassion to rename and reclaim as you did. A tax collector to a Bible scribe, a sinner to a missionary and martyr, ununited to a son of Yahweh. You've always modeled what life on mission is. To rename and reclaim what was once stolen and lost, misplaced and downcast, and to bring people into a new future through the connection of our compassion. God, if we are not missional disciples, shake us, stir us, and correct us to a life of alignment around the principle that you died for, the sinner to know mercy and the sinner to receive mercy. Amen.